have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with fun doing it, Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This week's guest, it's a really fucking good one. It is Blothar the Berserker, a.k.a. Michael Bishop of Guar. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you tonight, John? Uh, I am fucking really excited to get this episode out. I was you know really looking forward to doing it and we'll kind of get into some of the 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 headaches sort of 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 trying to get this done initially uh but i mean like i said like i said in the uh, necrogoblicon thing i am really excited about this i it, it couldn't have gone better considering the kind of conversation we ended up having yeah it was really cool um i also got to check out some other while i was listening to it and uh, <laughs> and uh <laughs> You know, it, no, I mean, I was, I was, re- I loved it, man. And, uh, we'll get into it whenever we get back from the interview. But, uh, I, I was not expecting such an insightful, um, interview, you know? Well, thank you. <laughs> very down to, very down to earth. Um, I was talking about him. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that wasn't um, a very down to earth thing of me to do. No, it's fine. But, uh. Yeah, so uh, you're uh, you're a little uh, upset about something tonight. Yeah, so very interestingly enough, as we were waiting for the you know us to have, find time to to do this uh, intro and outro stuff for this episode specifically, news broke uh, today of famed director of Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn, being fired from Guardians of the Galaxy. The reason he got fired was really fucking stupid, but it's so on on brand for part of this conversation that I did with with Blothar the Berserker that it was just too too hard not to touch uh, in in this intro. So basically, James Gunn got fired for some tweets that he made ten years ago and a few a little bit closer in time over like from like 2009 to like 2012 I think was one of the dates I saw on the tweets but 10 years ago that's that's crazy and the fucked up part is is before the first Guardians movie even came out he apologized for those tweets back then so he's already he already pre-apologized for all these things and everything was kind of seemingly forgotten or forgiven whichever adjective you want to use I guess but here we are all these years later and people are finding these tweets and getting all upset and being like, Oh, this is, this, this offends me. He should be fired. And it's like, but he already apologized for it. And you know, how many times shit, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. There might be pieces of me. me, There might be pieces of that person who are still around, but a lot of things that have happened in that 10 year time frame have shaped who I am now. And would I definitely say like some of my proudest moments were when I was, you know, 24? No. But I think the thing in, you know, the the day and age we live in now where everything's on the internet, I, again, I think 
uh, something that has been said several times over this podcast with a lot of the people I've had on, you know, that it's like, you know, there's various photos of these people and, and all this kind of stuff. And we live in this weird time capsule where, you know, you put something out and potentially 10, 15, 20 years later, like shit gets used against you. And it's like, but, you know, I guess you shouldn't say something if you don't want people to, to bring it back up. I mean, it's like I saw I remember there was a, a tweet. I forget who it was. It was some kid who was like a, a, a five-star recruit for, I want to say, uh, college basketball. Or no, I'm sorry. I think he went into the NBA. I think that's what it was. And there were tweets of him from when he was in like high school or middle school. And he's like using the N-word and he's like, you know, reposting lyrics to rap songs and stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, is he a racist? And it's like, oh, come, oh, come on, man. Like, dude was like in, was not even... Like, how are we judging someone who's, like, basically almost now coming into adulthood when they were 12, 13? Shit they were saying when they were 12 or 13? Like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah, I mean, like, going back to what you said about uh, about 10 years ago, I mean, I, I've talked about this a lot on my podcast. Dude, 10 years ago, I was, like, a fundamentalist conservative like only 10 only 10 years ago like there's there's stuff you know maybe it's not public may, i don't know if you could even find it if you looked for it now but um you know there i i would happily sit down and have a conversation with somebody about why their religion was wrong or why you know like why, why their lifestyle was destructive or <laughs> or whatever you know what i mean like it just stuff that stuff that i don't necessarily um agree with now so it's like the kind of person you are when you're essentially a kid you know i mean me 10 years ago i was in my very early 20s you know so like your people people do change over time and i think the interesting thing about this case too is the fact that he apologized prior to us living in the twitter age so to speak you know i mean we had twitter back then mm -hmm. but like we didn't have a twitter president then you know we didn't have all of this stuff that is you know, like back then, the social media, your comments on social media were kind of largely like you might have pissed some people off, but it wasn't like the it wasn't the career career ending thing that it is now. Yeah. And, you know, that's the, that's that this is where the scary part about it being online forever comes from. But I mean, it's it's hard to believe that it's not a vendetta from somebody somewhere because like. Dude, you know how hard it is for me to pull up a tweet I liked that somebody said three days ago? Yeah. You got to do some deep digging if you're going all the way back to 2009. I mean, I'd almost imagine you're on like Wayback Machine and you're like typing in people's uh, Twitter handles and finding finding these things. Like somebody went out to find that information specifically just to smear someone. Now, like I'm not defending what he said, but he apologized. He's not defending what he said. Right. You get what I'm saying? Like it's not like... It, to me, it's it's very strange to me that you could be fired from a job like like if I got a job, you know, I just got a new job, uh, you know, and if the dude's like, hey, um, you know, about 10 years ago, you said to somebody that you thought that they were going to hell. We don't want that kind of thing in our company. So you're fired. Right. Yeah. Totally justified. If I said it to somebody yesterday. Right. You know, like it's it's obvious that that's you know you know the way that I am now, but but yeah, that's that's pretty ridiculous, and um, it'll be interesting to see what that does to that franchise of movies. You know, yeah, I don't know, 
I don't know. I I very much just in like I said, in light of this conversation and and where I end up kind of some of the things I talk about with politically correctness, this whole thing with you know Steel Panther, which you know kind of the episode starts off with. Um, it's just it's just crazy to see that every like you know and. It, Doc Coyle and I talked about this toward the end of the chat I did with him a while ago, where it's like, I feel like this is the the byproduct of living in a world where you can tailor and make whatever experiences you specifically want, but then as a result of those, that's what you expect everyone else to uphold across the board. So it's like, there's my set of rules and how I think everything should be, but then because of that, now I, I think everyone else should be the same way, and it's like, you can't... I actually, I take it back. I guess you can, because that's what we're showing. But it's like whatever happening, whatever happened to being like, I don't fucking like this. I'm just, I don't care. I'm not gonna pay attention to it. I'm not gonna give it any credence. You know, it's like that. You know, from The Simpsons. Just don't look. Goes right. away. It goes away if you don't look at it. Right. And you know, I understand that's kind of a very blanket statement of like you can't do that with like racism or or any other kind of like really horrific shit. And there sort of becomes this fine line of what's acceptable per se and what's not but i mean at the end of the day it's just it's so fucking outrageous like how people like like i i don't i don't know i just i i I mean i'm one of those people that it's like i remember i know i've made mistakes i know from some mistakes i've definitely learned how to be a better person and you know something you know that i've always taken away and like i have friends who you know, they would go through a couple of different relationships and so forth, like dating wise. And throughout the years of me dating, you know, a lot of times I would have to kind of step back and be like, okay, like this person did this, this, this person did this, this is, these are some of the things that led to us not being together anymore. But then I also had to eventually just as a, as a fucking person who can realize this, you kind of have to learn to take ownership of things and be like, okay, well maybe I did something to cause the thing too. It's not just the other person and something that, you know, like I remember telling some of my friends that it doesn't go over very well, but you know, I'd be like, you know, it's kind of crazy. Every, like the last seven people you dated, the only constant, you know, they're all, they're all crazy quote unquote. And I go, but the only other constant in those relationships is you. So did you ever think right. that maybe there's something about what you do that could be part of the problem too? And it's like, no one ever wants to take that. No one ever, another cliche saying for every finger you point there's full technically there's three but the, you know the old saying there's four pointing back at you um thus saying that you know right you're there's more things kind of damning yourself than there are for the one you're trying to throw at somebody else and i just don't think that we stop to think about shit like that it's like you know the band braid oh my god the pussy melter pedal i can't handle this let's start a petition and get it taken away you know what are there any of those motherfuckers that have probably said or done something that's that maybe I don't like and be like, you know what? I don't like your music. Can I start a petition that I, I don't like it or, you know, I don't know, like whatever, whatever someone stupid can deem offensive. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't like braids. So I don't like your band. Can we get a petition to, to make your band stop making music? Cause I don't like the name of your band. Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, it's a double standard because everybody, everybody is the protagonist of their own movie. Yeah. It's the way those guys, that's why everybody's the good guy. All the time, um, and not to bring religion into it, but I remember hearing uh, actually a past, you know, my pastor at my church even said one time, he goes, "It's kind of funny whenever whenever somebody else makes a mistake, 
or does something that they shouldn't have done, they messed, you know, like they messed, like they, that's who they are. I figured them out. Right. But whenever I make a mistake, it is a, it is a one-time exception to my otherwise flawless character, (laughs) you know, and that, that rings true, you know, like that's, that's, that's how most people are myself included. Like I, like you said, John, you know, sometimes you have to step back and be like, if I'm looking at this from the outside in, you know, not like stained, um, but if, you know, (laughs) if you're looking from the outside, feeling those lighters, (laughs) right. Um, you know, you start seeing things for what they are versus what you want them to be. And I think that's the problem is that people are not accepting the real world for what it is. They're just trying to change it into what they want it to be, which is fine. If if you want the world to be a world where there's a cure for cancer, then for sure, do knock yourself out, you know, but you know, for, for things that people said in the past and then they admitted that there's a mistake and then they moved on from it. And again, this is a subject that we bring up all the time that we're going to try not to as much anymore. But again, it's not okay for this dude to make tweets 10 years ago. Okay. That he apologized for, but Tim Lempisis is allowed to hire a hitman to have his wife killed. And then he goes, well, I'm, I'm sorry. And then he's, but he's, he's allowed to keep his job, <laughs> but you know, uh, gun can't keep his job. Yeah. And he yeah. didn't, he didn't try to kill anybody, nor did he, nor did he serve any jail time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those, like, you know, like I, I get where people are saying with Tim, like, Oh, he apologized. Blah, 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 blah. That's fine. But you know, James Gunn apologized too. And preemptively, it's not like Tim Lambesis went out and was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to hire a hitman, So I'm sorry ahead of time. If this bothers anybody. Right. He didn't, he didn't, um, Right. Uh, he, he, there wasn't a big public out there demanding a public apology. No. But they got one anyway. I think, I, you know, I, if the studio wanted to sit him down and, and have a, a big talk or two with him, it's like, look, man, we, we can't have this stuff. You know, you apologize before, maybe apologize again. I, I don't know. what Whatever you've got to do to clear your name of this. But I think now, though, this is a decision that, you know, to take it in a slightly different direction, this is also a money decision. Where the studio is not willing to take a risk, a financial risk of putting another movie out with this guy's name on it because of the controversy, whether it's justified or not. Right. You know, because I think it was the same thing with the Roseanne stuff, too, you know, where it was like they were like, you know what? You know, whether she apologizes or not, it's one of those. uh, I think Lucius Fox said it in um, Batman in Batman. Yeah. The uh, the Dark Knight. When he's like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to waste your time, but we can't be seen to be doing business with whatever it is you're accused of being. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I think I think in this particular case, it may have just been a money decision. But it is still unfortunate that, you know, you know, when you post stuff online, unfortunately, it's there forever. And that's a generic people, a generic thing people say, but it's very much the truth. Yeah. It's there forever. This podcast, it's going to exist in some form forever you know and uh we have to live up to that you know we have to just you know roll with it and you know in 10 years we might be like oh my god i can't believe i said that (laughs) but you know that's just something that we're going to deal with and hopefully in 10 years we don't live in a world where we can lose our job over it well speaking of apologizing 
and preemptively apologizing for for things being bad. Um, this conversation was done at the intersection uh, while three different venues uh, within the venue itself were all sound checking for different shows. So the background noise is going to be pretty pretty omnipresent the whole chat uh, between Guar sound checking. Uh, the band in the front room where we were at, kind of loading in, sound checking, and so forth. Uh, I listened to it today. You still can pretty much hear both uh, Blothar and I throughout the whole thing. Uh, I think Dan would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but if you're one of those people who gets easily distracted by background noise, maybe this episode sadly isn't for you. But I'm just going to preemptively say uh, it is a good chat. It just might require a little more focus and attention for, on your end as the listener. And without further ado, this is my chat with Blothar the Berserker of Guar. We'll talk to you in the outro. of talking to Blothar the Berserker here at their stop on the Blood of the Gods tour here in the intersection of Grand Rapids, Michigan. How are you doing this afternoon? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good so far. You know, I had some coffee. I had a terrible vegetarian sandwich. Are you a vegetarian? Uh, no, I'm not. That's why it was terrible. <laughs> that sounds about the same yeah. response I would have if I was eating one. No, nah, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, was, it was gross. It was like eating just... I don't know, dirt between two pieces of fucking bread. Um, but anyway, then I, you know, I went upstairs, played some chess, masturbated languidly. Now I'm down here talking to you. Well, I'm glad you got the uh, seat out of you first before talking to me. I know that usually takes things off a little yeah, bit. It does. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to to kind of go a more serious uh, approach with this interview, just because there's not really that that many of those kinds of interviews. I understand. Of very serious. I'll and, be serious. Uh, oh, we're gonna we're still gonna have fun. Okay. Um, you know, you had done the lead singer syndrome with a podcast with Shane Toll from Silverstein. That's right. And you had mentioned in the interview that you had done a bunch of correct me if my pronunciation is wrong. Ethnographs. Ethnographies. Ethnographies. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Uh, about the band uh, when you were working for Virginia College? Uh, University of Virginia. Okay. I was a, uh, a music professor. Uh, I don't teach anymore, but yes, I was. Uh, and I, I, ethnomusicology is sort of at the intersection of anthropology and, and uh, musicology. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, what I do is something called ethnography, which is just writing a writing practice about uh, uh, and research practice, I suppose, mostly just writing um, for. Uh, and that's what I taught was you know writing ethnographies and uh, writing about music and stuff like that. So in kind of doing my research on on what the word meant, uh, right. not necessarily how to say it, obviously. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but. You know, I kind of wondered, in doing the research like that about the band, did it reveal a level of the band that you maybe didn't know about previously? Or what did you unearth when you kind of wrote about the band from that perspective? When I wrote about the band from that perspective, I wasn't in it anymore. I was, uh, I was at uh, uh, 
we could actually we could move over there if you want. Let's do sure. it. Okay. Yeah. So um, the things I learned, you know, when I wrote an ethnography about war, <coughs> or really what I wrote, I, it was in the process of writing a, a performance ethnography uh, that was uh, about. Uh, it, it was a, an experimental sort of uh, first-person performance ethnography, and uh, there were a lot of experimental elements in it, but one of them was sort of writing about my experiences with music. I was not in the band at the time, so I just sort of looked at uh, you know, my journals from when I was in the band and thinking about, and, and definitely, you know, <laughs> Just looking at Guar's, the appearance of Guar in the literature of uh, academic writing is interesting, right? So, you know, because it exists. Like, right. I mean, there, people have written about it. They've written about it in the context of shock rock. Um, they've written about it in the, uh, and I guess, like, I'm considered kind of a shock rock expert, I suppose. Um, then they've, uh, they've written about it from a musicological standpoint, um, which was interesting. Uh, you know, like somebody picking apart Guar's music. Um, and, you know, so yeah, it's a different way to think about the band. Um, but more, what for me, what, what was different mainly is that you're not answering questions about what the band does or what the band's mythos is. It's more like how the band, how the people in the band uh, work together and, and what the what you know just the, the sort of culture that that you build around being in the band just among the people that are doing it right and also some somewhat about reception right like how, how people uh, receive or understand what we're doing so yeah it was, it was interesting it was you know as I heard that I was like man it'd be really fun and interesting to kind of read that where you take literally everything that you've visually see out of the equation and just kind of focus on what it is as the actual entity, which I, I don't know that a lot of people are able to do, so I always kind of thought, like, when you approach it from such a, a very visceral level like that, if it kind of becomes something that you, you don't realize that it really is. Um, I mean, I think that, that I realize what it is. Um, it didn't really change for me like, uh, because I, you know, what, what changes for me is, is realizing what other people think it is, you know, that, <laughs> that's, that's sort of more interesting. I mean, you know, so yeah, I mean, my work didn't really lead me down a road where I kind of had a sudden realization about war other than like really realizing its value in my life. Like, you know, how, how important it was and how central it was in forming my ideas about life and um, you know so I mean I guess that was a surprise but uh, you know definitely interested in what people take away from it and hesitant I was hesitant I don't like interpreting things um, because I really think but so, sometimes Guar does things that are so sort of over the top that when you talk about them you have to interpret them because right. otherwise people are going to take them on face value, especially academics. You know, and what surprised me was that, like, I mean, I never got—I I fully expected to uh, 
I, I took classes with women who were, and men who were radical feminists, who were, uh, um, you know, the really accomplished scholars in queer studies and, and cultural studies and, uh, you know, all of the people that uh, folks would point to as being sensitive about these kinds of issues. And Guar never, was never viewed in a negative light. And I thought that was interesting. That, that interesting. I did learn. So in other words, there's a kind of like, there's something about Guar that allows it to occupy this space that, uh, it, and I think really what it is is that Guar is marginalized. It's okay. a marginalized metal band. So we can kind of occupy that space a little bit, even though it's a bunch of white dudes out there. And, and there, but, but, but there's always been women that were part of Guar. And, yeah. Um, and now, I mean, like, as far, especially as far as making stuff and the image goes, like, always women were part of it. Um, but, you know, like, certainly, like, Guar is not the same as being in... I don't know, fucking Halloween, or, you know, it's like, we're not, we're not cool, you know, and I think that our music really speaks to people who are disaffected, and maybe a lot of academics kind of meet, meet that bill, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, I didn't catch any heat for it, I was glad. Kind of, uh, speaking of a band that has kind of caught some shit, uh, I kind of feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up with you guys, uh, or at least with you. Stu Panther with this uh, this Pussy Melter pedal fiasco that's going on right now. Have you heard about this? No. What is this? So, I love Steel Panther, though. Satchel had uh, a pedal that was being made, like a custom pedal being made for him, a guitar pedal. Uh, and it, he called it the Pussy Melter. Right. Very much on brand for that band. And this band, uh, Braid, I believe is their name, or Braids, uh, caught wind of it and started a petition to get the company to remove that pedal and the name and all this kind of so kind of shit. Uh, and the company obviously did decide to work with Satchel to change the name and they apologized and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of wondered in, in the world where, you know, a, a band that's on a, steel level, on a Steel Panther level where obviously seemingly everyone's in on the joke of it, like that there's, you know, there's the brand of what they do and, you know, the song titles and album titles and so forth and just everything about it is being a performance. <laughs> is it... You know, I, I was hoping you had heard of this at least, but I was going to say, is it interesting, or are you interested, surprised that there's such outrage about this? And then I was even going to ask, you know, is is there such thing where do you think maybe Guar is grandfathered in from kind of being exempt from such scrutinies as, as like a Steel Panther? I don't think that the way that people are approaching this in this country, some people... Um, that anything is grandfathered in, and that's kind of that's kind of part of the problem is that you know, or, or a problem that I have with it is this idea that um, you know you can apply current standards, and especially and not even standards like some people's standards uh, to things that are uh, that exist out of that context, right? You know, like and then get get all pissed off about it. Right. Um, I mean, you know, Steel Panther... So so the answer is, I don't think we're grandfather now. I think that the world is changing to the point that... Uh, I don't think that Guar will... Uh, 
We're going to keep pushing, mm-hmm. right? But but I expect at some point to have some pushback. And, uh, yeah, I was wondering that myself, if you yeah. see that coming on the horizon eventually. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it, it, I think that sort of the band has traditionally occupied a space which is more on the sort of, you know, left-leaning, liberal kind of... Um, uh, I mean, it's really more chaotic than anything else. Right. Like, you know, but it's, but it's definitely anti-authoritarian, and it's definitely... Uh, you know, which I guess these days could be, you know, conservatism is anti-authoritarian too. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, so it, these ha- have traditionally been our allies, but people that, people who have no sense of humor, they're not our allies and they're not our friends. I don't think they're anybody's fucking friend. Like I can't really, I've, done, I've spent a lot of time talking to people who, who have, who believe these things and I, I really don't. I really don't understand what uh, I don't understand why they come down where they do like I don't understand why why does a pussy melter pedal make anybody do anything except for laugh and if you don't like it then well don't buy it or don't you know the idea that you can force and that's really what it is like and, and braid there was no nobility in that you know they weren't doing that because happens and you get double double bookings yeah um but uh i mean i don't think that braid was doing that because nobility it, it, yeah it's something that they believed in i think they were trying to get publicity and i it worked and uh you know i mean those guys should you know steel panther should just keep doing what they're doing i mean because at least some of it is drawing attention to the fact of how fucking stupid it is. Oh, absolutely. You know, and if people can't see that... Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Um, okay. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, though. You know, with the fact that you guys wear the outfits that you do, there's a bit of anonymity in who you actually are. So something in kind of prepping for this interview that I was wondering is, have you ever stumbled across people maybe who find out that there's a show happening, whatever, and they start kind of talking shit about the band or their perception of what the band is and who the how the people are? That happens all the time. I mean, um, you know, uh, I've had people, one time in Vancouver, I was standing outside and uh, this young punk rock girl uh, I started talking to her and she was she said uh, she was like yeah I've seen this band a lot Um, tonight they were they were uh, they were playing with the music was pre-recorded oh and I was like really like what makes you think that and she said well it's because the singer it all sounded like the other singer but he's dead so it couldn't be you know, it had to be pre-recorded, and I was like, I don't know why sound men always choose really fucking stupid music to EQ a room with, but they all do. What's been one of the weirdest things you've heard a room get EQ? I mean, well, they always do something fucking fruity like that, or sting, or something like that. Something terrible. Um, <laughs> and now we're getting 
butthole surfers. Yeah, but um, not even good butthole surfers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so to answer that question though, uh, well, shit, what was I saying? You were saying that basically you heard someone saying that you were oh yeah 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 that's right. tracks yeah tracks the old vocals. yeah and I told her you know that's not true. I'm glad you thought that. Um, the 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 uh, the other person uh, the other person that that would that were uh, people that were that were talking about uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to wait for this dude. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I was gonna say is that another time that just happened. Uh, I mean, well, many times it happens a lot. You know, like just recently I was in a comic book shop and the guy who worked there, like he saw me. My girlfriend found the Guar comic, and she's like, look, they have it. So I was looking at it, and he's like, yeah, you like that? And he's like, what do you think of the new singer? And I was like, I think he's doing all right. You know, he's, he's, he's trying. And, uh, you know, but I have conversations like that fairly regularly. You know, a lot of times outside of a show, fans don't, I mean, they don't know who we are. So The thing I think is really interesting, too, and especially in listening to you know, like that Lead Singer Syndrome podcast with you is, I assume that the general cons- consensus is that you guys are all relatively stupid. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting, and, in, you know, from having friends who have toured with you guys collectively over the handful of years, is, like, how smart, like, you know, I've hung out with Brad and a few other people, and how just knowledgeable they are on everything. And I don't think you can travel the world and not, and be stupid. Uh, I think it'd be kind of fucking hard to be really stupid and there's have traveled a, the world. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you there. You there's, so? there's a lot of metal guys, a lot of people, musicians, period, that I've met that I have no real understanding of how the fuck they managed to put gas in the van and keep going. <laughs> like, I mean, but... I mean, seriously, like, and usually they're not actually stupid. They're just fucked up on okay. drugs or something. But, you know, but definitely, I mean, there's been some people that uh, that I have had questions about. Um, and, and, and I think that, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, music's like anything else. I think you do have people that aren't that bright that do it. Um, uh, but, you know, they obviously have some kind of intellectual capacity because they're musicians which is an intellectual activity really and uh, you know but yeah I mean Guar has always been surprising to people and the much more interesting story about Guar has always been the one that's out of character that's not that is like uh, you know just all the, the, the stuff that is real and the relationships in the band and all that stuff to us anyway that's always been more entertaining to me uh, to know about and understand uh, than what we put on stage even but like um, the people in this band have it's a it's a band full of people that are smart you know and it always has been uh, you know it's not a band that started by you know I think I, I would compare it to Devo because more than Kiss right right where Kiss is like you know, I mean they're a band that's up there trying to you know, there's definitely a sort of really stupid masculinity about Chris, about Kiss. Um, yeah, Peter. I don't Chris. know. I was gonna say I don't know if that applies to Chris. <laughs> yeah, maybe not Peter Chris. Peter Chris. He, he, he's. I don't know. They're, I mean, 
they're 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 good guys. They they're uh, like they're you know they were they were I think they were a great band kids. Um, but definitely the sort of image that they put out has a kind of hyper masculinity that uh, is and and it's even toxic at times. Like a, a weird. Yeah, I mean, Christine, sixteen. Oh, you know, yeah. But at the same time, uh, you know, a band like Devo, who had a, a, an elaborate stage performance, is much more of a direct influence on Guar. And it's a band with an idea, a band with a concept, and also a band uh, that had a, a level. I think that Guar mounts on stage a pretty serious critique. Of, mo- of modernity and, and it always has um, and like you know uh, yes people are frequently surprised <laughs> the people in the band are articulate but you know what I was going to say about Devo is that another comparison is that Devo is a band that came out of an art school right and that's what, what Guar came out of you know? so it's this is a group that has been driven by visual art and an engagement with popular culture and the valorization of the low. That's what war is about, you know, and there's nothing stupid about that. No. Kind of uh, shifting again, you know, the last cross-country warp tour, which I think is part of the, the sentence people aren't latching onto, uh, speaking to people not paying attention. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that's happening right now, and you guys were a part of that the full run last year. Are you surprised to see it wrapping up being a full cross-country tour? No, I mean, the attendance was down, and it had been down. Um, I mean, it was still good in major markets, but, you know, there were definitely some places where, yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty clear to me that, you know, because you got to figure how much that production costs. I mean, yeah, you know, ultimately, Kevin's paying for... What is there like, like 40 coaches on the road? You know, 40 yeah. buses, a bunch of like you know the bands really aren't allowed to drive themselves. So you've got, uh, I mean they can, but it's just torturous as hell. Yeah. So like uh, you got the band wagons and um, yeah, and then the hotels and like just the and all of the production. You know, it's expensive as shit. And, uh, the fact that he kept it going as long as he did is, is much more surprising to me than the fact that it's ending. Um, so, and I also think it's, maybe it's cultural moment passed a little bit, right? Like it was about sort of 90s, or even, or not 90s, but, uh, you know, just that 2000s, like, uh, you know, young bands, Blink-182. Right. right. Like, you know, that that type thing. It was weird because like there were some older, like when we played with the the alarm, you know, nobody knew who the fuck was. Like there, I mean, nobody. Right. Nobody. Like so, there was like eight people watching them every night, and they were super great guys, you know. Um, but I mean, to me, like when I was a kid, like they're they're a big deal, you know. Like, right. Uh, so that was interesting. It was weird for me because, like, my wife and I made a trip to go see a friend's band in Rhode Island play their last show, and then found out that uh, the next day, uh, Hartford was the Warped Tour date. So we went to the Hartford date, 
And it was very weird for me because with having a friend on the tour who allowed us to kind of get all access to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, for me having, you know, book shows in this very room that we're in right now and seeing how, you know, setups go and stuff like that, to see the just the scale of what that looked like, you know, the, the crews working together to get the show going and staying on time and so forth, which is really interesting to me as, as someone who puts on shows sporadically now, but what was really weird is like seeing, you know, some of the older bands that played those first couple of warp tours, and then you'd have a band like Attila, and you'd literally see thousands of kids shift over to watch them and get ready for them, endure whatever band was on, and then it almost was like as soon as Attila was on and like another legacy act was playing, gone. And then it was also interesting to see some other bands like yourself or whatever, where I saw a lot of kids coming to see you guys play, and it was a thing of like, are you here because you enjoy the music, or is it because of, you know, the word of mouth of like, oh, Guar is really cool, they put on their stage show, so on and so forth, and it was really weird to be, you know, almost in my mid-30s watching this thing where I'm like, well, how does this kid know these songs from an album that was, you know, out before they were even born? And so it was kind of interesting to me to see and hear, like, yeah, this date was really awesome, but this, the next three were shit. And to kind of see just the, the weird cultural shifts of what's going on in the Warp Tour. And, you know, even Keith Buckley from Eatsy just wrote a thing about how really Warp Tour was never a, for the bands or about the bands. It was about the fans having something to look forward to, this, this community of people, this cross-culture, I guess. And so it's kind of interesting to look at it more from that and kind of see that maybe that's gone from the tour. Maybe. I mean... But there's a lot of things that are fucking gone. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's true. Like, just, I mean, and it depends on how old you are as to what you remember. I mean, I do think that, like, you know, when I hang out with people who are in their 80s, I'm like, you know, it must be a challenge just to look at the world and see how much it fucking sucks and how much it's gone downhill and how better things used to be. And I don't think it's your imagination either. I really do think that things just start to fucking suck. And, you know, one of the things is that we mentioned the butthole surfers early on, you know, and you mentioned like this kind of like maybe a segmentation of markets or people's awareness of like what bands are they're not interested in the legacy acts although I mean I'll be honest with you like they love like Guar did really well on that tour and Guar continues to be popular with young people and we're fortunate in that Uh, we don't take it for granted I mean uh, but you know Guar is a band that never fit into any notches you know any, any place um it's there's really nothing else that's like it uh, and you know certainly for uh you know but but it used to be like you, you i mentioned the butthole surfers you would go to a, a show in a town um and there was a lot of practices that are gone that were kind of cool one was they used to have matinee shows for kids and then the same show at night for people who could drink that happened with some regularity. We used to do um, that when I used to come to this town, actually. In that main room, we would have bands, do yeah. local bands. Yeah, and so, yeah, you'd play once, and then you'd play again. Um, and then, of course, they developed, uh, you know, the wristbanding system, and that kind of went away. Um, but the other thing is that the audiences tended not to be segmented. Like, and really, even by, by the early 90s, I could see that happening. That, like, you know, it had been that you would go to a show and, and the same people who went to the Circle Jerks or a Cro-Mags show 
although Cro-Mags, that's the beginning of where it starts fucking segmenting, right? Right. But like, um, you know, and that's the beginning too of like of emo and all that shit. You know, where Ian's looking at what's going on at these shows, and there again, it was this problematic masculinity that those bands promoted. You know, that resulted in violence and a bunch of weird shit going on at shows. But like, the thing is that in these at these shows, it was always like. Uh, everything mixed up you know like you could go see the butthole surfers and go see the Cro-Mags and go see circle jerks and it was all punk you know even stuff that was really not punk right like right. Uh, like you know like some weird rockabilly stuff you know um anything that was on that circuit people were going to see and uh it really started to segment and you had like what Biafra calls it an orthodoxy okay that sprang up in in uh, in hardcore um where it started to be following a kind of a set of rules, you know, both like sartorical rules and like um, less musical rules and all kinds of things, you know, behavioral rules. Um, and he viewed that as kind of a, the beginning of the end for uh, punk in America. Um, I don't know about that. But <laughs> so I'm going to kind of wrap this up so that we can get on with, with your day and, and maybe eat some more disgusting vegetarian sandwiches. Yeah. Could <laughs> um, I kind of ask you a traditional Guar question because I was thinking about this uh, in preparation for from last night. You know, your, your new album's called Blood of the Gods, The Blood of the Gods Tour. Yeah. In Blothar, since I'm talking to you, were you able to secure any blood of any gods? And if you didn't, who, what god would you like to have secured some blood for for this tour? Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 uh, you know the blood of God is really what it's called, and it's uh, uh, you know, Blothar and and all of Guar. I mean, we're built out of the blood of gods, you know, and. and uh, some of, at least some of the title for that record was, you know, this idea that, you know, what happens when, when people just start ignoring gods, right? Like, you know, uh, then they, they go away, right? Like, you know, um, uh, and, and so I had this image in my head of a starving god because, uh, you know, they get, I mean, in, in a lot of religions, they're fed for sacrifice and, uh, and you know whatever and you know and, and if you leave them alone then like and, and there are people who believe that they just continue to exist because they can't die they're just starving and miserable you know right so I kind of thought of Guar as like uh, being in that position right like uh, uh, but I mean really what that what that album title is is it's a lot about the loss of odorous you know so, right um, and that's you know so I haven't you know We've, we've definitely killed some gods on stage, um, but, uh, you know, so we have that blood on our hands, but really it's more our blood that we're talking about, you know, and there is some attrition being in Guar. There's a lot of loss in this band, and uh, it keeps moving. And then last question, uh, I always like to end these episodes out to a song. Would you like me to play it out to? And maybe a quick story as to why. Uh, I would play it out with, uh, shit, I don't know, off of the album, I'd play it, I'd play it out with, uh, I'll Be Your Monster, you know, it's a new noir song, got a video for it, it's, it's rocking, 
Um, you know, it's not as metal as some of the stuff we have done, but it's a fun tune. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's a good one. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for your So that was my chat with Michael Bishop, a.k.a. Blothar the Berserker of Guar. Dan, what did you think of that? Uh, check drums, please. Okay, bang, bang, bang. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, man, that was that was awesome because I really wasn't sure how it was going to go. You know, if, if you were going to do a, because we had talked prior to the episode, whether this was going to be like a played, you know, in character, played straight kind of interview, or if you were going to, if we were going to try to talk to the man behind the costume, you know. And um, I'm glad we got the guy behind the costume because he had a lot of really cool things to say about a lot of stuff. I mean, for a 30 minute interview, you guys covered miles. <laughs> well, it was kind of funny too because, uh, and I want to give, I already sent an email out to this person, but. I'm going to give a, a shout-out to uh, Shane Told over at the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast. Uh, last year on the Warp Tour, uh, he got to talk with Blothar, and ha- as far as I know, is the only other serious interview that I've ever heard uh, with anyone from Guar. And as a result, when I heard that podcast all the, a year ago, that's really where I was like, wow, I think there would be so much more to learn and to gain knowledge of, because something I, I've said, uh, and if you go back to the Skyler from uh, He Is Legend episode, and I even think the episode I did with Chad Nicefield from Wilson, the first episode I did with him, you know, I've talked to a handful of people that have toured with Guar, and, you know, everyone always has the same sentiment echoed, which is, you know, those guys have been doing it for so long, they're so professional, they're so knowledgeable on so many things that, you know, you can't help but learn from them, and, and the almost shit probably 30 years of of touring and just everything that they've learned about the industry and so forth and you know so it was one of those things where when on the lead singer syndrome podcast hearing michael uh talk with shane and and just be him not a character that really opened me up to wanting to hear more interviews with those guys in that same kind of format because that's what's great about a podcast is learning something about someone that you don't typically get to hear. And typically you do not get to hear Guar interviews in a serious tone. They're always kind of satirical in nature. And, you know, I got to say, it was really hard when I was writing questions to ask a character. And you may think that it wouldn't be that hard, but it's like when you realize that almost anything you ask is going to kind of have a throwaway answer because of the nature of talking to a character. Right. There's a handbook. There's a handbook of responses. Right. For every question when you're talking about the Guar mythology, yes. you know, and that, yeah. And I, I really honestly wasn't even, wasn't really that interested to hear that, you know, because if you're a fan of Guar, you kind of already know. Yeah. And again, these are the kind of questions that they're going to get asked all the time. It's like for Guar, of course, everything has to be weird and different. Right. Right. So like, you know, asking them a question about their mythology is on par with when did you first start singing? Yeah. When did you first get your first guitar? You know, like just stuff like that. It just is trite. So of course with Guar, you turn it on, you turn it upside down when you start asking him, you know, personal questions about things. That's the weird different thing, you know? Well, I thought the, and, uh, to me, like the one of the interesting ones, and I'm, I'm glad he actually took the time to answer it and gave us examples was, you know, the, the anonymity, like, 
I also was really glad because I actually obviously got to talk to him in person and he was not in costume. So that made it a lot easier because I don't think I could have handled talking to a guy who looks like you or I pretending to be a character that he's not dressed up as would have been very hard. And it was really interesting to kind of take that dive into, you know, you are in this weird position where no one really knows what any of you guys look like. It's almost like kiss, you know, when before kiss took off off the makeup, like no one knew what they look like. And so it's like, they have this weird anonymity factor about them where they can literally go out after a show after they like get all their gear off and go hang out with their fans and really get a true glimpse of what their fans think of them and their music. And to me, that's just so interesting to kind of pick at and, and kind of, you know, be like, yo, like what, what is the craziest thing you've ever heard said about you to you? (laughs) Yeah. That was great. The story he told about the girl in the comic shop. Yeah. You know, there was like, you know, um, what do you think of the new singer? And he just responded like, well, I think he's all right. I think he's trying really hard. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, cause what else can you say in that situation? You know? Right. Um, and that, yeah, that, that, that I got a pretty big chuckle out of that. Um, no, I like, I, I mean, I definitely, um, enjoyed like just how deep of a dude, you know, we have here, you know, like he, um, Really went into a lot of, like, the social, like, constructs that are behind, you know, Guar and, you know, like, how people are going. Like, he, he, like, he's done the research on how people perceive things. (laughs) And then that's, that's what ended up eventually leading to the, well, I mean, if things keep going the way they're going, we're probably going to have to call it a day. That's really interesting, though, to kind of even pick apart on that, because, I mean, it's like. I was going to ask him that anyway, but it's really weird that we got to that part of the conversation because of the pussy melter pedal. Right. Let let that sink in for just a a split second. Because of the politically correct world we live in now and someone not being able to put out a a pussy melter pedal from a 80s hair metal band in 2018 that have songs about fucking fat chicks and blue balls and all this kind of stuff and playing characters and – we're upset about a pedal, a guitar pedal that serves a legitimate practical purpose. Right. But in this, you know, it was crazy to, I was going to ask, like, do you see a point where Guar won't be accepted in, in this politically correct climate? And it, you know, I, I don't know when the last time, or if you've even seen Guar, but it was kind it's been kind of crazy. Like, you know, it's, it's a multi-generational type event kid, you know, parents bring Mm -hmm. their kids and, it's, you know, for lack of a better word, it's like, you know, a theatrical experience. You know, there's there's skits kind of going on. There's a storyline going on between between the songs and so forth. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a show. And it's a full scale performance. It's not a rock concert. Yeah, just it's not. It includes it's a full scale performance that includes a rock concert. Right. You know, and so it's it's one of those things where thinking about how just how touchy everybody is nowadays and maybe that might even piss people off um but it pissed me off john (laughs) yeah uh but it's one of those things where it was really kind of weird that i was gonna ask like do you see an end for guar and he's just like i kind of think maybe that's gonna be what causes the band to go away not because we're ready to call it a day but because we're gonna be forced out just due to how we are right 
it's not a terrible point either. You know, obviously we don't really want to see that. But one thing that did that does shine a little light of hope on that though, and something he said that really rings true is that for whatever reason, younger people tend to connect with Guar better than older people. And like that's totally true because like, you know, when I was in high school, you know, when I was a senior in high school and I was like really I mean, it was all about metalcore for me at that time. But I remember, you know, all these freshmen would come in with Guar shirts. You know, like uh, there's there's kind of like a trope of the young metal kid. His favorite bands are Gore, Motorhead, Metallica and ACDC, you know, because he's just you're just getting started. Yeah. You know, it, with with this kind of music. And I mean, it's not a bad place to start, you know, for sure. Um, but it's it's interesting that Guar is always in there because of how different they are from the from the aforementioned bands. And there's just something really bizarre and alien about Guar that's almost <laughs> inviting for for younger people because the, it it becomes their own personal thing. Right. Like for me, for me that thing was death metal. You know, like really extreme blast beat music that just makes people be like, "What?" But Guar has the same effect on people just not, you know, just in a, in a different way. They 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 use the visual aspect of it to kind of get, you know, uh to get those to get those type of responses. So um, I think that if younger people continue to jump on the Guar bandwagon, as they seem to always have, you know, within the past 20 years or so, it seems like, you know, they're still getting new fans. I mean, how many bands that are as old as Guar, no offense to them, get, get new fans? Not many. Like new listeners, you know, and because, you know, I get accused all the time of listening to dad rock or dad metal, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, this, you know, um, you know, when I, I went and saw Zao in Nashville recently and they were like, you know, how many, you know, they, they were commenting that, you know, there are people here that are younger than the band has been around. Right. And they're there. They're, you know, they may not necessarily be there to see that band, you know. Um, but, yeah, to see a band like Guar, you know, just come out there and they're still they're still catching 15 year olds. You know, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm a. Uh... I'm really I think I'm at the point with this episode where I'm really excited and nervous to put it out because I'm excited for Guar fans to find it. But I'm really nervous that Guar fans aren't gonna like the serious nature of it. Right. Because you know they're so loyal and they're so diehard. It, it, I mean it's almost how I felt about the Hope's Fall episode. And that did really that did really, really well. Um so, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be worried about it, but, um, and my other big thing is that I'm also, obviously, I listened to this interview today just because to, I hadn't listened to it since I did it, uh, but I wasn't sure how bad the, the background noise was going to be, and I was kind of bummed at how loud it was, but like I said, you can hear Mike and I really clearly. Um, oh, yeah. You just kind of have to... I mean, there's not really like a, I mean, and I'll paint this picture. So literally, Guar and a full-on production for that tour were sound checking in a main room uh, with a door, the door open into the uh, the smaller venue where a local band was doing their CD release, the Hollow Front guys, and then in the basement, which is where I was standing above, was an EDM show. So at times when you hear that really low end bass kind of like rattling, that was a uh, that was the EDM show down in the basement. So it's like no matter where I went, I, I couldn't go anywhere and escape the noise. So 
we just kind of had to make do with what we were doing. And, you know, I think we did a good job of being able to, to like I said, you can hear us both pretty well. Um, even some funny side commentary about uh, sound guys sound checking or EQing the levels to, to garbage bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think if you're a Guar fan, you just need to imagine that, you know, this interview was conducted in an alien spaceport, you know, on the edge of eternity, you know, and you'll be fine. In Antarctica. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No, I thought it was a good interview, man. I can't wait to see um, what people think of it, uh, if it generates some buzz. You know, I, I always like to hear um, people's interpretations of, of what's said. But I, I liked I like the straightforwardness of it and I like the honesty. So I think it's going to be I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I think that's uh I think it's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, so if you would like to follow our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can find them at thebeanbastard.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at The Bean Bastard. And if you would like to keep up with our partners over at Moshpit Nation, you can do such over at moshpitnation.com. You can find them on Facebook at facebook.com backslash moshpitnation west capital M I. Twitter and Instagram are simply Mosh Pit Nation. And Dan, where can everyone follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. You can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. Thanks for uh, ruining Iced Earth for me. I didn't like the band anyway, but I definitely don't like them now. Oh, I'm, I'm never listening to Iced Earth, Earth again. I don't, I don't have to. You can't make <laughs> me. So. And uh, if you would like to keep up with everything going on with this podcast, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at John's Untitled Podcast. Tweet at the podcast at John's Untitled Pod and email me at John's Untitled Pod at gmail.com. If you would like to be a show sponsor, we got some really good episodes coming up. Uh, not going to tease them just yet because uh, I don't want to jinx them, but got a couple more in-person interviews coming up and uh, some already in the can. Uh, but very much looking forward to uh, getting some of these out. Uh, actually, I'll tease one. The Phineas interview I did uh, a couple of days after this Blothar episode in the exact same venue uh, was really good. Uh, I was expecting to talk to Bryce, their bass player, and ended up talking to everyone in the band but Bryce. Um, <laughs> nice. But we go on a really interesting dive on Warp Tour, Warp Tour etiquette, uh, Islander. Little tease there. Uh, we also get into a bit about religion, uh, being a Christian band in today's world, uh, in a touring band, and so forth, and uh, a lot of other fun stuff. So I'm so bummed out I missed out on that. Yeah, it was it was surprisingly really good. And uh, once I got thrown the curveball that I was getting three-fourths of the band i pretty much just abandoned the questions i wrote and just went straight from the hip and i think uh i think it's typically it seems like that's the best interviews i've been doing lately it's just kind of off the cuff another great thing that helps this podcast as well uh rate review subscribe dan do you want to tell the people why we harp so much on this the reason we love reviews so much uh positive preferred uh negative we like it when people send us negative reviews privately, but if you feel like you have to post it, then don't let us stop you. Um, <laughs> reviews are great because everything on the internet these days is run by algorithms and recommendations. Therefore, the more times a product is reviewed by listeners such as yourself, that gives us a bigger opportunity to be recommended by an algorithm on a website to other listeners who might be looking for the same thing that you're enjoying right now. So that's the only reason we ask for reviews. We ask for them just so that we can get a little bit of, an ex of exposure without having to do dumb things that other people do, like get paid likes and uh, give Facebook and Twitter all their money to run targeted ads that don't work. 
So um, we just like to keep it as grassroots as possible. We want to hear from you guys, and your guys' recommendations are what's going to get us exposure, not some mechanical, faceless entity. So uh, we appreciate you guys, anybody that's reviewed the podcast so far, and uh, keep them coming. And speaking of a grassroots approach, uh, we have five days, as of when this is going up, to tweet at Ice-T. Uh, I'm still not giving up hope. Uh, actually, someone reached out to me via Facebook uh, and gave me potentially what they thought the publicist uh, for Ice-T was. I've emailed them, but they are currently at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, so... I probably won't hear from them until Monday, but a handful of people have reached out to ICE. Uh, ICE has liked a few of those tweets, as well as a few of my tweets uh, in regards to responding and retweeting those tweets and and sharing the comments. Uh, So please keep those coming. I really do think that, you know, if enough people do this, he's, he's... I don't think he's going to be so wild that I have people doing it because it's very obvious that I'm, I'm asking people to do this. But what I do hope is that he just sees the, the work I'm putting in to try to get him and he sees the hustle and can and kind of respect that and just, you know, give me a few minutes while he's here in my town, five minutes from my house. So please, please, please. We have five more days. Tweet at Ice-T at Final Level. Tag me in it at John's Untitled Pod. You can include Dan as well at Discuss Metal Dan, and use the hashtag Ice T on JUP. Uh, I have been retweeting, resharing all that stuff, uh, everything that gets tweeted out in that regard. So please, 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 help me get Ice T on this podcast. Uh, while it's a very singular thing, if it happens that it'll be me doing it, uh, I think we will all share in the the sh- the victory of of getting this sh- this thing to happen. I will bask in the glory. I'll. I I don't even know what I'll do. I'll I'll probably freak out internally. Don't don't say anything you're gonna get fired for in ten years. <laughs> I'll only say awesome things that'll get more people that want to come on this podcast. That's perfect because it's there forever, my friend. And on that note. We're going to end this episode as we always do with a song. And as you heard him say, he wanted me to play out to I'll Be Your Monster off Guar's newest record, Blood of the Gods. So this is going to be a new Guar tune for you. Go out and check out that record, and uh, we will talk to you next week.